welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 23, The Persian Conspiracy. Last week, we charted the rise of Cyrus the Great, his humble origins, and the explosive rise to power from a minor king to becoming the king of kings. I feel like I haven't explained my reasoning entirely for our focus to be on the Persian Empire currently. When we return to the Macedonian narrative, Alexander will stay in Greece until his invasion of Persia in 334. Following the invasion, our primary focus will be on Alexander as he conquests through the Persian Empire. I want to explore the land we will be familiarizing ourselves with by giving you the history of the land and understanding the political and economic framework we'll be dealing with. Greece will return to the narrative in due time, but it will never be the sole focus of our narrative again. Alexander's conquests will change everything, and upon his death, the end of the classical age of Greece will usher in the Hellenistic age, where Hellenic influence will spread through Asia Minor and even into modern-day Pakistan. The Hellenic influences will be Greek culture, but unlike the democracy of Athens, the oligarchy of Thebes, or the rule of tyrants like in Pharae, these new Hellenistic states will be monarchies. I believe this is because of Alexander. The post-Alexander world will use him and his memory as they see fit. And the wars after his death are for control of his territory and to continue his legacy. Anyways, we'll get to all of that eventually. Today's episode is an interesting story. The historical records we're using to understand this period come from Herodotus, and the primary source that we do have is questionable, to say the least. So buckle up and enjoy. We'll have a decent amount of narrative history today, and I'll round off the episode with some of the musings we hear here today. When we ended last week's episode, it was the year 530. The great king Cyrus was dead. Yet all was good. The king was an old man, roughly 70 year olds at the time of his death, and he left behind two heirs, his son Cambyses and his other son Bardia. The succession went smoothly, and Cambyses became king with no trouble, and his brother Bardia was given major territory in the east and was allowed to keep the revenue from his territory. It seems Cyrus hoped this division of the empire would keep things stable and secure, and not upset the balance of his newly created empire by a brutal civil war between the two brothers. Cambyses was married twice, both wives being his sisters. This was to preserve the royal dynasty on that Targaryen grindset, and it was to ensure that there was no outside claimants to the throne. Cambyses would keep the martial conquests of his father alive by continuing to expand the boundaries of the young Achaemenid Empire. Cambyses subjugated the Phoenician cities in the Levant, Tyre, Byblos, and Sidon, and annexed the island of Cyprus. These gains were crucial. The Persians now went from a landlocked empire to potentially enforcing their powers overseas with the mighty Phoenician navy. Then, in 526, the Egyptian pharaoh died, and his son Samatik III succeeded him. As always, regime changes are periods of instability, and this was no different for Egypt. 
Egypt was wary of the new superpower that had sprouted out of nowhere, and Cambyses' invasion into the Levant would have hardly quelled the anxiousness the Egyptians must have felt at the Persian encroachment. The anxiety soon turned into a full-blown panic when in 525, Cambyses led the Persian invasion of Egypt. The two armies met at the Egyptian city of Pelusium, a city that would famously become ground zero for the Justinianic plague almost 1,100 years later. The battle that ensued was a Persian victory, and the pharaoh retreated to Memphis, where they held out against Cambyses for a while. But in the end, the king of kings would not be denied. In an interesting but grim story, they say the Battle of Pelusium was won with the Persians placing animals the Egyptians found sacred on the front lines. This stopped the Egyptians from using their war engines and archers for fear of incurring divine wrath from the Egyptian pantheon. In one campaigning season, the Persians had effectively defeated the Egyptians, now were in the midst of incorporating the new territory into their administrative system. It's from here on in that the story begins to descend into mystery. After the conquest of Egypt, Cambyses began to act unstable. Herodotus claims that Cambyses went insane. Cambyses began acting erratically, but continued to rule. He planned two invasions, one of the Ammonians and one of the Ethiopians. He sent a 50,000-man army to invade the Ammonians at the Siwa Oasis, and Cambyses led the Ethiopian invasion force. The criticisms levied against Cambyses are that he did not plan for any provisions for the invasions, and would not listen to his generals who advised him to do so. The Ethiopian campaign led by Cambyses ended in a board of failure, and he returned to Memphis. As he returned, News that his army sent to invade the Siwa Oasis had disappeared, never to be found again. It's a mystery still to this day, and people still look for Cambyses' last army. The simultaneous failures of these invasions had put Cambyses on edge. When he returned to Memphis, he saw the citizens celebrating a religious festival. Due to his madness, he thought the celebrations had been caused by his failed invasions. The mad king in his fury called for the religious people to come to him and bring the sacred Apis bull. When they did, he took his dagger and stabbed the Apis bull in the leg, a mortal wound. The murder of such a sacred animal to the Egyptians was only proof of Cambyses' insanity. And Cambyses' insanity only persisted. He had the leaders of the city brought to him, who he believed instigated the celebration at his expense and then he had them killed. Then, he began having prophetic dreams of his brother Bardia sitting on the throne. This could only mean one thing. Bardia was plotting against him. And so, Cambyses sent a secret assassin to kill his brother, and to make sure no one would find out. Cambyses would rule for another two years, until in 522, there was a revolt in the heartlands of Persia. Cambyses left Egypt with his army and began the march to quell the rebellion. Upon his march, one day, when mounting his horse, the tip of his scabbard broke, 
which caused Cambyses to stab himself in the thigh accidentally. The wound would prove to be fatal. It seemed to be divine retribution from the Egyptian gods, because allegedly, it was a wound in the same spot as where the apis bull had been stabbed. Despite best efforts to treat the wound, the wound became infected, and 11 days afterwards, the king of kings died. In his last days, Cambyses apparently regained his sanity, appalled at the despotic acts he committed while gripped with madness, and most of all, he regretted the assassination of his brother Bardia, realizing that his dream of his brother sitting on the throne was due to his death, not because of any foul play from his brother. Cambyses died childlessly, and his brother Bardia was also dead. What would the fledgling Persian Empire do now? Now here's where it gets even weirder, because who was leading the revolt? That's an excellent question, because apparently it was none other than Bardia, the dead brother of Cambyses. But didn't Cambyses have Bardia killed? Well, yes he did, secretly. The false Bardia was an imposter named Galmata, who was a mysterious magus who looked remarkably similar to Bardia. Galmata was able to take control by giving tax exemptions to the empire for three years, which smoothed over Galmata's usurpation of the empire. For eight months, it seemed as if all would work out for the new imposter. But the deception would not last. Persian noble named Otnes. His daughter was married to the imposter King Galmata. Otnes knew a secret that others did not. He knew that Galmata's ears had been cut, and so he instructed his daughter to look at the ears and report back to him. As Otnes suspected, the ears belonged to Galmata and not Bardia. With this revelation, Otnes began to plot and brought two men into his confidence. And the three men now realized they needed more support. Each brought a friend whom they trusted with their lives into the conspiracy. They were now six. But they would be adding one more man into the fold. A man named Darius. Otnes and the five other men added Darius due to his high ranking within the empire. Darius's father, Itaspes, was a well-regarded satrap of Bactria, one of the furthermost eastern provinces. This would have been bestowed upon him, I would assume, during the reign of Cyrus. The trust between Cyrus and Hyaspes would lead to his son Darius being given preferential treatment, which culminated in Darius holding the symbolic position of lance-bearer Cambyses during his eight-year reign as king of kings. A position like this would keep Darius close to Cambyses, and as such, Darius was always around Cambyses, and he would have known of Cambyses' order to kill his brother. The group of seven men then began to discuss how to proceed, with Otnes and Darius having differing opinions. Otnes argued restraint, and that they should wait to gain more allies, while Darius argued immediate action, saying the longer they waited, the more opportunity there was for their plan to be found out. It seemed everyone agreed, and so, 
the cabal of conspirators was now organized and of one mind. They were going to get rid of Gamata, the fake Bardia, who now sat on the throne. The plan was simple. They were some of the most well-respected men in the empire, and Darius, whose aforementioned father was a satrap, would claim he came bearing a letter from his father to the King of Kings. Everyone agreed that this plan made sense, and so they set off to the fortress from where Gamata was ruling. Once they arrived, the guards, when they found out who the men were, let them through without delay, not wishing to offend the noblemen of the nation. Phase one of the plan was a success. As the men entered the fortress and began to find their way, they ran into a group of eunuchs who were confused as to why they came. Surely, if there were any news to be brought, they would have known about it by now. The jig was up for the conspirators. They revealed their weapons and killed the eunuchs, and then began running to find the royal apartments. The commotion could be heard from the royal apartments, and the magus Galmata armed himself with a bow, and his companion, who was also a magus apparently, because, you know, birds of a feather and all that, armed himself with a spear. The seven men burst into the apartment with the two men armed and ready for them. Galmata was at a disadvantage with his bow, but his companion fought fiercely, injuring two of the men with his spear. Galmata, seeing his companion fighting, began to run. There was another door on the other side of the room, and he ran into it. Darius and another man named Gabrius changed after the mages through the door. The door led to a dimly lit passageway, and Gabrius managed to tackle Galmata to the ground, where the two men began to wrestle on the ground desperately. Darius stood back and watched the men fight. Suddenly, Gabrius yelled out, Why aren't you stabbing him? And Darius replied, For fear of stabbing you. Gabrius yelled to him, Stab us both if you must. He must be killed. And so Darius stabbed at the bodies on the ground, killing Galmata. Gabrius, luckily, was uninjured by Darius's stab. The false Bardia was dead, and the conspirators successfully attempted to kill the false king. In the aftermath of the conspiracy, all the supporters of the false Bardia were killed, and when news spread throughout the empire, all magi were found and killed. A few days later, after things had settled down, the men decided on how the empire should run, with Otanes suggesting democracy, another suggesting oligarchy, and Darius advocating for the continuation of the monarchy. The group of seven voted, and four voted for the monarchy, the majority winning. And all of a sudden, Darius found himself elevated to the kingship, becoming the new king of kings. So what happened? Cambyses went crazy, had his brother murdered in secret, and then died himself accidentally when his sword scabbard broke. Then, we had a person pretending to be the dead prince, a magus who continued to rule the empire for almost a year before he was killed. 
and Darius acclaimed as the new king of kings afterwards. So what really happened? Well, as far as we know, this is the official event according to Darius. There's a rock inscription on Mount Baestun with Darius' explanation of the events. It's written in three languages, Akkadian, Old Persian, and Elamite, a Persian version of the Rosetta Stone. Here's some of what it says. There was not a man, neither Persian nor Median, nor any one of our family who could make Galmata, the Magian, deprived of the kingdom. The people feared his tyranny. They feared he would slay many who knew Bardia formerly. For this reason he would slay the people, that they might not know me, that I am not Bardia, the son of Cyrus. Anyone did not dare to say anything against Galmata the Magian until I came. Afterwards, I asked Ahura Mazda for help. Ahura Mazda bore me aid. Ten days into the month of Bagayadish, we were in course. I thus, with a few men, slay the Galmata the Magian, and what men were his foremost allies. There was a stronghold, Sikavayatish by name. There is a province in Media. Nisia by name. Here I smote him. I took the kingdom from him. By the grace of Ahura Mazda, I became king. Ahura Mazda gave me the kingdom. So what are we to make of this? Let's try and break it down. It starts with Cambyses first. Modern scholars are now re-examining the assumptions of whether Cambyses was insane or not. Egyptian sources at the time are hostile towards Cambyses due to his conquest of the region. And in fact, there is evidence now pointing towards Cambyses having never killed the Apis bull. It would seem that the Apis bull died of natural causes, and as pharaoh, Cambyses performed the requisite duties expected of him. Persian sources are also biased towards him as he took the steps of further consolidating power into the central government, namely, into the king's hands, which meant himself. So what does this mean? If Cambyses wasn't insane, did he ever order the murder of his brother in secret? If he didn't, that means when Cambyses heard of the revolt occurring in the heart of Persia, it could mean that his brother Bardia may actually have been at the heart of it. This throws Cambyses' death into question. His recorded death of him stabbing himself in the same place the Apis Bull was stabbed is a story told in ancient literature all the time. We write backwards to fit a narrative to show some kind of karmic justice to those who act with malice or are too power-hungry. How did Cambyses die then? Was he assassinated by agents of Bardia? Or more interestingly, was it Darius who killed the king? As his lance-bearer, he had access to him that others didn't have to the king. I say this because if Cambyses wasn't insane, never killed his brother, who did Darius kill? It leads me to believe that it was the real Bardia. Darius and the other nobles concocted a plot to kill the new king so one of them could take over and rule, and it ended up being Darius. His inscription at Baesun reinforces that Ahura Mazda, the chief Persian deity, wanted him to rule. 
and we know that in the first few years of Darius' rule, he was forced to put out several revolts over the first three years of his reign. He appeals to his divine credentials, his success at killing the fake Bardia, his ability to end the revolts, and his successful expansion of the empire. He lacked the legitimacy that other sons of Cyrus possessed. In the end, what is the truth? Darius became king, and his version of history became the narrative. But what if it wasn't? It's an age-old conspiracy that to this day, we can still wonder about. We'll leave it here for now, with Darius now the king of kings. Next week will be our last Persian Empire backstory episode, and it'll be exciting. We'll be focusing on the reign of Darius and his son Xerxes and the famous Greco-Persian Wars. So, in two weeks, we'll return to the narrative with Philip dead and Macedonia in a state of shock. Like always, if you like what you heard, give the podcast five stars in review. I have maps up on Instagram, so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history, and you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter at History Pinpoint. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's get it.